Hey folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. This episode's about a week late as we were doing a podcast with the Off-Center Archers last week and I got tied up making some videos. Yes, you heard that again. Making some videos that with any luck I can get up sometime later on tonight. Recorded two different videos, one on different types of releases and another one on some general instruction on how to handle your bow as far as recording your settings um, for further reference later on. But anyway, let's get to this episode. So this episode is all going to be about your bow sight and the peep sights. They go kind of hand in hand. But first, we're going to concentrate on the bow sights. And the reason why I'm doing this whole thing is because I had a couple of students come to me who are setting up as brand new bow hunters and another one setting up as a brand new target shooter. Two very different types of setups, but both of them need sights. Both of them are going to need peeps. And the one starting asking me all kinds of questions about, well, I've seen this and I've seen that, and I don't know if I want to shoot 3D or if I'm going to set it up for field. You know, what's the best thing to go with? And unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion out there because of advertising, misinformation you hear from people who think they know what they're talking about and actually don't because they know very little. And the rest of they preach is all hearsay stuff but they've never actually tried different sites, which is a bigger problem in itself when people are talking about different products that they've never actually used. So the one point of view I try to bring across here is over the, oh, wow, I'm going to age myself now. In the 44-plus years that I'm doing this, shooting as a kid with sites and working on bows and that sort of thing, I've just about tried everything, and I mean everything. We're talking about different brands, different configurations, different settings. So when people ask me about these things, I try to give them the benefit of, well, you don't have to make the mistakes I did. This is the experience I had with this, and if you still want to try it, no problem. But I just don't go blindly saying, well, this is what happens when you do this, and this is what happens when you do that, when I've never actually ever tried it. Unfortunately, you get way too much of that, especially in bow shops and in big box stores where people are trying to sell you something. Combine that with what you see on YouTube videos, what you see in different ads, different places, on forums, don't get me started on them. But it combines to be a lot of confusion. For the 95% of trash info out there, you have about 5% of legitimate info from people that you can trust. So we're going to go into the very basics of the site, the types of site, how to set them up properly, and setup is critical to all of these because a lot of times when somebody's saying that their site isn't working right and they wind up going to buy something else, it's mostly because they didn't set it up right to begin with. So each type of site, as individual as they are, requires a different type of setup. And then when you combine that with your peep site, even if the site is set up properly, the wrong setting on a peep site or the wrong type of peep site could just spoil the entire thing all over again. So we're going to start with the basics on the sites. Okay. As far as types of sites go, the beginner site that you're going to see on most, you know, big box store and and pre-configured you know, ready-to-hunt 
setups that you can buy where they come with everything is a fixed multi-pin site. So you're going to have a fixed site with up to three or four pins in there. So the site doesn't come off the bow. It's, it's fixed on there, screwed on, can't be removed. And there's three or four pins that are usually adjustable. This is really good for beginners. That's why they put all that stuff together as packages most of the time. And you can find these things anywhere. A site like this can be purchased for about, oh, I don't know, $20, for like some some foreign-made plastic version, composite version, where you're going to get what you pay for because run through some brush or something like that, and they kind of fall apart. Uh, if they're shooting on a bow that's got too heavy a poundage and too much recoil on it, they might move around a little bit. And then you have the same type of sight still, but they make it with all kinds of different options on there, um, better pins, bigger pins, different size pins, um, pins that are staggered so there's different channels and they, they can be lined up so close together because they're all in different channels so you can pull the pins down and almost on top of each other. And those can be upwards of 70 80 100 $200 depending on who's making them. So like I said, for, for the beginner, a fixed multi-pin is usually right. My beginners, I usually take the other pins out, or if they don't come out, I'll drop them down to the bottom of the site, and we only use one pin. So the first thing people ask me is, well, why are you doing that? It's simple. The majority of my beginners that are out there that are shooting this type of bow, okay, your entry-level bow, are looking to either do it for recreation or for hunting. Either way, recreation, say, being 3D or target shooting at different distances, what I find is that a lot of them get confused by the number of pins. And it's very easy, especially for the younger people, but the older people as well. Adults have this problem too. It's not just limited to the kids. They tend to pick the wrong pin at the wrong time. So say they're shooting at a 20-yard target. Well, they got three pins. Usually it's set up 10, 20, 30, 40, so on and so forth. Well, sometimes the pins are all the same color. Sometimes they're, they're different, different colors, but you might have a red, a yellow, and a green, followed by another red and a green or something like that. It's very easy for them to pick the wrong pin. And they'll wind up shooting over or under the target. And then that goes further for bow hunters because in the heat of the moment, a deer is at 25 yards. What pin do they pick? They got so much adrenaline pumping through them, they might just pick out the 30-yard pin or the 40-yard pin or pick out the 20. And instead, they wind up missing and having a bad experience. So because we're dealing with new people, and some of the people that I set up like this wind up staying this way always, especially here in the Northeast where your average shot's 15 yards if you're hunting. If you're shooting 3D, it's a little different. But the way I set them up is give them one pin, drop the other pins all the way down, and I set that pin for 20 yards. And I show them how to adjust with that pin, shooting lower at a closer target, and higher at a further target. And the majority of them can use the same pin to shoot from 2 yards all the way up to 30, 
sometimes 35 yards, with one pin. So for a hunting situation, if they got the, the range of the animal, they know where to put the pin on the animal's body to compensate for whatever distance is off, if he's too close or if he's too far. Within their range of efficiency that that pin is set for, so if the pin is set for anything from 0 to 30 yards, they know where to put the pin on based on the situation. And they can do the same thing in 3D. Now, in 3D, you're dealing with some targets that are 40, 45 yards. So either they're going to limit themselves to only shooting the 30-yard targets or they're going to use a multi-pin and then eventually learn how to use different pins. Because when you're using different pins, multiple pins, the problem that some people have with their sights is that they center the pin inside of the peep instead of centering the housing and then putting the pin with the housing centered on there on the target where they want to go. And it sounds like an easy enough thing to do, but when stuff is moving fast and it's high pressure, it's very easy to make the mistake. And the last thing that we want is for people to make the mistakes that get them a bad experience and discourage them from something. You know, what may seem like, oh, I missed to one person is devastating to somebody else. So part of the coaching that I do is teaching them how to Move on. If you're target shooting and you have a bad shot, move on to the next one. Forget about it. If you're bow hunting and you have a bad shot, that could result in wounding an animal. It could result in you missing an animal that you've been waiting a lifetime for. So it's a little bit more important to make sure that we limit the capacity for that to happen. Now, I'm not saying that shooting with a single pin is not going to let it happen. It can still happen. Anything can happen when somebody's under pressure. But we try to reduce the possibility, so that's what I set up new users for. Now, like I said, that's the basic sight that you're going to see on most big box store bows and most ready-to-hunt bows. Um, then you have different types of other sights, including um, slider sights and sights that are on a dovetail mount that can be removed from the bow itself. And the sliders come in single-pin, and multi-pin formats as well. You also have your electronic sights, sights that measure the distance to the target. In most cases, they'll angle compensate as well, but not all cases. But those are the electronic sights. Um, back in the day, for people who were shooting at a tree stands, they had a thing called a pendulum sight. I don't even think that they make those things anymore. And that would adjust for your angle and distance and all that. But each one of these types of sights, whether it's an electronic, a slider sight, anything like that, it has its good and bad, and it has to be set up properly. So let's go over the mounting versions first. So with these sights, as I said, you have either the fixed, which mounted a bow and cannot be removed, or you have the dovetail, the ones that have like a slider bar that goes in, and you can remove them. You can move them further out. Some of them come on 6-inch bars. Some come on 9-inch bars if you're on a target setup. So what's the good and bad between those two types of setups? Mind you, we're just talking about the types of setups for the site. We haven't gotten to the site yet. Two types of setups. So for the advanced sites with these two types of options, why would one go with one over the other? Well, your, your fixed sites... The ones that mount directly to the bow are generally going to be less expensive. Not too much less expensive than than a dovetail mount, but generally less expensive. Um, they're more common for 3D shooting. 
and for hunting. What I like about them is they stay on the bow. You screwed them on. They're not moving. You put them in your case. They fit in the case. They're protected. They're pretty durable. And you got nothing to worry about. And more importantly, you can't forget them because they're attached to the bow. Now, dovetail sights, they come off the bow. Depending on the type of sight that it is, if it's a target sight, they usually come with their own case that you put them in because they disassemble so the scope doesn't get bent and that sort of thing. But they give you the advantage of being able to move the sight further out or further close or closer to you. Now, some people think, well, like a gun, I want as further out as possible. True. There are things that come with that, though. So if you move it further out, if it's a target setup, unless you're used to it, the more that that target is going to shake and keep moving when you're in the scope. Why? Because if you have a magnifier in there, the further out it goes, the more movements can become visible because you're bringing that picture bigger and bigger, the magnification out more. If you do it the other way around, where you're bringing it closer, it'll be more stable. The other thing that goes on with that is the further out that you go, the bigger your sight pin gap is going to be. And I'll explain pin gap in a second, but the bigger the pin gap is going to be, the closer you bring it in, smaller the gap is going to be. So keeping those two things in your back of your head, which we'll go into in a second, the fixed sight has an advantage because it's always the same. The slider, I can move it, you know, the, the dovetail, I can move back and forth, and I can make it fit. Let's just say if I have a peep that I want to make sure that my I'm framing my peep exactly with the scope, well, I can usually bring the, the scope in, you know, on the slide bar to make it fit. Not always, but most of the time, depending on the size of the scope you're using. If it's if I can't see the scope because it's just like too big around the peep, I can slide it out and adjust it that way. My biggest pet peeve with removable sights like this is for hunters and for target shooters alike. The biggest problem I see with them is that people forget them. Case in point, if you have a really, really expensive hunting site that comes on a dovetail, it's got its own little case. You run to the range or you run to a flight because you're taking a flight going to some exotic place that you're going to be hunting. You get there, you unpack, you set up your bow, and what do you notice? Oh my God, I forgot my sight. If it's on a hunt, you're done. Or learn to shoot bare bow really quick. If it's a tournament, do you have time to get back? If you're just driving to the range and your range is an hour and a half from your house, you're really going to have to go back home and waste part of the day if you even have the time to do so. The other part that's wrong with that is that when they mount to the bow, they're held on with a screw. Okay, it's a little thumb wheel knob that you just put in there and tighten it down. A lot of times, for one reason or another, 
people will put it in the so most of these sites will have up to three four even five different notches where you slide the the dovetail in and then you lock down the site well guess what sometimes people put it in the third notch or the fourth notch go back and forth and don't realize and then they say why are my sights off well it's because you used a different notch you're bringing the site closer you're moving it out further changes your site picture changes your marks the other thing is sometimes they can rattle and shake. It doesn't seem like a big deal if you're shooting 20 or 30 yards. When you're shooting 80 yards, it's a big deal if that sight rattled a little bit and it's slightly jigged up or slightly jigged down. It's a difference between a 10 and a complete miss or a 6 or something like that because it wasn't secure. Now, if you're responsible, make sure you bring your sight with you all the time. Make sure that thing is locked down tight using a high-quality sight. None of that stuff makes a difference. I'm just putting it out there is before you go spending four or five, six, a thousand dollars in some of these sites, that's something to look for. So now we're going to get into what I was saying about your marks. Okay. With a fixed pin site, you know, one that's fixed to the bow, if you have a slider site. And like I said, there's two types. There's the one that has a single pin in there. And then you have the one that's got multiple pins. Well, which one is for you in the first place? If you're used to shooting multiple pins, and now this is the first time you're going with a slider, then go with a multi-pin slider. Because your bottom pin is the floater. Some people set their middle pin as that. It's a pain in the neck to do that. I always set the bottom pin. And you can have a static sight, 20, 30, 40, and set to your static mark on, on your marker, on your dial, it's always going to be 20, 30, 40. And then if you need to shoot 50 or 45, you can dial it to that and just use the bottom pin as the pin you're shooting with. It's a great, great combination. Now, some people have a problem shooting with multi-pin sights. Like I said, they can pick the wrong one. For that, I say the single pin slider is the one to go with. But you have to be aware of one thing with that. It's just like shooting a target bow. Target bows, for the most part, are all single pin. You're shooting 3D or something like that, still going to use a single pin. The formats may may differ slightly between a spot hog and an axle sight or something like that, but for the most part, they're all the same. Now, if you're shooting a single pin, the only caveat that you have with that is you have to remember two things. One, have it set at the range you're going to be shooting. So if I'm shooting 20 yards, I have to make sure that that dial or that that uh, that lever that's set with the range mark on it is set to 20 yards. If I'm hunting with that, I have to make sure that whatever I'm expecting the animal to come in at, it's set to. Where the drawback you get with that is, if for some reason I was shooting at the range and shooting 40 yards, I go to the indoor range. I didn't set my, my dial back to 20 I'm probably going to break some lights or or shoot the very top of the of the target. Happens. A worse situation is you're out in the woods. You got it set for 20. Animal comes in at 35. You forget to move the move the slider. Miss. Unless you know how to shoot 20, 
you know, to 35 yards using a single pin, which some people do. Or if you say, okay, now I'm far enough away, I see the animal coming, I'm going to aim for, I'm going to draw on him when he gets to, say, 42 yards. I set my dial to 42. And he, he comes across, I get him to, to draw, and he takes 10 quick steps. Well, what distance is he now? A deer can bound in a couple of jumps, 15 yards. You go, you recite, we're going to try to make the same thing work again. You might have an entire miss because you were set at 42. So unless you got time, and just in the time that you look down to change the, the, the dial on there, he could move again. So for hunting, the the single pin, if you have the right experience and you know what to do and you can remember what to do in the heat of the moment, is fine. But I usually recommend a multi-pin with the slider for the, for the floater pin on the bottom to cover both bases. This way you're okay. But getting back to the pin gaps with your marks, here's the deal. You have a dovetail, okay? And say if I've got my dovetail all the way out because I want to have that rifle accuracy. Depending on how fast your bow is, and no matter what speed your bow is, the same effect's going to happen. The degree to which it happens will vary. But you might find that you bottom out being able to shoot that that sight and at like an average speed, a bow that's shooting 250, 270, something like that. Your, your average gap might be a quarter inch. Well, guess what? You run out of room on the slider. Eventually, the scope is going to bottom all the way out to where your arrow is going to hit it as it goes by if you move it any further down. And that's because at the distance that you have is giving you the most accommodating room for the pins. Now, so say that somebody who has that extended setup like that, they might only be able to get out to 65 yards. Sometimes it's even less depending on what the speed of the bow is. And they're like, well, but the, the range on this thing says 100. The tapes say a lot of things on them. It doesn't mean that you can shoot 100. But what it means is, here's where you dial it in. They're all printed for the same numbers anyway. You pick it out based on the speed. And that's a whole other setup deal that I'll get into another time. But you could wind up running out of space as your sight bottoms out to where it's safe to shoot at 50 yards, 55. The whole time you're thinking, oh, I got this slider sight. I can go to tack and I can do this and I can shoot out to 120 yards. No, you can't. Not if you're putting it all the way out there like that. But you're not completely out of the woods. You can move it back. If you move it back, then as you're making your marks all over again, calculating where your marks should be, you'll see the closer you move it, the more narrower your pin gaps get. And a lot of people wind up getting these slider sights and moving them all the way back in because that's the only way they can get their pin gaps out to 60, 70, maybe even 100 yards. And at that point, think about it like this. Yeah, I just spent all this money on a, on a dovetail sight. Looks cool. Got the option to move it in for my peep and all that. Great. But it only works for me when I'm all the way in. Why didn't I just get a fixed mount sight, a version of the sight? So there you have that. 
it depends on what your particular setup is. That's why someone who knows what they're doing has to help you set it up. Out of the box, none of these things are going to work right, not the way you want. The higher quality sites have the advantage of being able to adjust for second and third axis, that sort of thing. And they always come in either a fixed or a slider version, you know, a dovetail version. So that's what goes on with those things. Now, as I mentioned before, the advantage of a of a dovetail is you can move it back and forth to fit your peep, to get you that perfect eclipse between the peep with the inside of your scope on there. It's not the way I prefer to fix that. I prefer to adjust the sight so that it's at a comfortable different distance where my pin gaps are not overly huge or overly small. And then I make the adjustments with the peep. Now, peep sights are, they come in a thousand different flavors, colors, types, you name it. But the size is critical to what you're going to be doing. So when you first get set up with a bow, they usually slap a quarter inch peep sight in there. And you can frame your fixed pin sight or whatever sight you're using pretty easily. The difference is that a quarter inch is very, very large. And you're going to wind up getting a lot of space between your sight ring and the outer ring of the peep. So getting that exactly in the center as you line up the shot isn't always easier. And you can wind up with some inconsistencies on lefts, rights, up or down because you don't have that framing ability. But, but there's a reason why they set those up. For beginners, it's easier to find a scope in there. You're not straining so much to look through it. And the other thing is that if you're in the woods and you're hunting, it's easier to pick up the animal and line it all up in there with a bigger peep. You could try a one eighth inch peep when you're hunting for the very first time, and I don't think you're going to have a very good time with it. You're either going to say you can't see through it or something's wrong, whatever. So they go with the larger one. But as you get more experienced, you can chop that down, make it different sizes, replace the peep. Okay. Some of them, the, the newer versions that are out right now, they have almost a tubular shape to them. We used to do the same thing years ago by just putting some shrink tube on them, and that would give you like a hood for it so to keep the sun out of it. But some of them, like the raptor peep, whatever, they're getting more into look, those barrel shapes. And you put that on there, and it, it plays games with the lighting for you, gives you a more clearer view and all that, but you still have to rely on the aperture size being appropriate for what you're going to be doing. And you want to make sure that it fits. So unless you're at a shop where they let you try different sizes until you find the one that fits for you, the best bet for something like this and they can be a little expensive, but if you know what what size aperture you exactly need, again, working with a shop or with a coach who has all the different apertures, you can see which one is for you. You need only buy the barrel or the, the peep sight itself and the aperture to fit. If you're a target shooter, you got to hope that the person that you're working with has the tool to let you see what that peep is going to look like with a two-power, a four-power, a six-power scope. With a with an eighth inch aperture, a three thirty seconds, three sixteenths, whatever. Because if you have to buy these things over and over until you find the one that really fits, it's going to get really expensive. At my shop and in my toolbox, I have those things for apertures and for scope powers. Because our deal is to try to make sure that the customer or my students don't spend money unnecessarily. 
So it's not that hard to do. Now, that's that's the importance of setting it up. So they make, but if you're the type of person who's going to be shooting in all different scenarios, indoor, outdoor, you can either buy the apertures that fit for you. And why am I saying multiple apertures? I'm saying multiple apertures because what your peep looks like indoors is going to be drastically different from what it looks like outdoors. Okay? When the light hits your eyes differently, your pupils are going to shrink. It's going to give you a different sight picture. So indoors, your pupils are a lot larger. When you go outdoors, the sun will make them shrink, really radically changing the way it looks. Now, you're not going to move your sight because that's going to throw all your marks off. So what I suggest is you have different apertures or a sight like a, like a specialty archery podium peep or the hamski peep that you can change the apertures on. They also sell them as a kit with different apertures altogether. And all you do is you take out the aperture disc you want, you unscrew the peep, you put it, drop it in, put it in, done. For target shooters, they make it with both the apertures and the different scope powers. They're a little expensive. They might be around two hundred dollars or something like that for the ones that come with the with the scope with the um, with the lenses. But you see what I'm talking about. If you go outside and all of a sudden that peep that you were using got really really small, well then I go into my box and I can change aperture, put it in there, it's back to normal. But then when I go in, indoors, it might look really really huge. Or the, resu- or the reverse. Go into my box, pull out the right aperture, drop it in, find the one that works, I'm good. And different lighting, especially for target shooters, is a fact of life. For indoor tournaments, whether it's Lancaster or a local or regional shoot, I'm going to tell you that you will be going to places where either the lighting is so bright it's ridiculous or the lighting absolutely sucks. I can think of three ranges here in New York City that you go to and the lighting is literally night and day different between the three different places. It has to do with construction, how big the place is, do they have a high ceiling, do they not? Are there windows there that are letting outside light in? Everything makes it different. So if you're target shooting... I would suggest you're spending all the money on the bow and the sight and all that. Spend the extra couple of dollars, get the adjustable kit that has everything that you need in there. If you're good on the the scope power, then just get the one that has all the apertures. And they come in different flavors and varieties. That's why I'm saying you can do that. Now, there are going to be all kinds of people who are advertising crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. And just because they're advertising it, They're not trying to make a claim that, like, well, something that really doesn't work, works. But they're selling something that might only apply to 1% or 2% of people out there. For a few years, there was a peep site that came in that actually had a post in it. So that when you drew back and you you could line it up like you'd be lining up an iron ring uh, on on a rifle. Well, 
the human eye, as far as I know, doesn't have the ability to concentrate on two different things, to focus on two different things at once. It's like I tell people, put the pin on where you're going to shoot, forget about the pin, focus burning your eye into the target. But for this peep to work, not only would you have to put the pin, you have to put the this this pole that's inside the peep, all that together, put it on the target and make it work. I'm not going to say it's never worked for anybody. There's probably a small percentage of people that it really does work for. And they wouldn't be selling it if some people weren't buying it. But the fact is, everybody's going to sell something different. Stick to the basics. Buy what works for you. But by all means, if you can try before you buy, better to do it that way. So this was a really quick review of the different types of sites. Fixed, dovetail, single pin, multi-pin, slider, you name it. And I hope it's explained some of the differences to you. I'll be doing a corresponding video to this very soon, and you'll get to see what I'm talking about. And we'll also be doing a site setup video where I tell you and I show you how you can get more distance out of your bow by just moving your peep sight. Because wherever your peep sight is, is what matters. So moving your anchor down further on your face is going to get you more distance. Some people don't get that, but it's really easy to understand once you see it. The other thing is, if you're setting up a target or for 3D, you have to be able to set your peep appropriately for what you're doing. If I'm shooting 20 yards indoor, and that's all I'm going to be doing, I will set my peep so that when I come to full draw and I'm looking through my peep, it and the sight are at 20 yards. So there's no canting or or squishing my head down trying to adjust. Now, if you're set outdoors and you're shooting, say, between 50 and 75 yards, I you know, and anything under, I might set my peep for 45 or 50. And now some of you are wondering, like, what is he talking about setting his peep? I'll explain that in the video, and I've explained it in another podcast before. So you can go back and look for one of those where I actually explain it. But if I set my, my peep for 45 because I'm shooting out to 70, 45 is in the middle ground, it's, it's comfortable. Anything I shoot at closer is going to be a little uncomfortable. Anything I shoot further is not going to be as uncomfortable. I'll be able to get it, so I have the best of both worlds. Some people set their stuff out for 60 or 70 yards. Like, yeah, but then we got to shoot 5 yards or 20 yards at the same bow because it's like a 3D or a field tournament. You get kind of screwed. It's very uncomfortable, though there are people who can make those shots. Our idea is repeatability, so you want to be comfortable. Comfortable means make it as easy as possible on yourself with the setup. You don't want your equipment fighting you. And that'll just make things easier for you in the long run. So that'll do it for the sights and peeps. And now we're going to go into the listener questions. Now, here's the thing. I compile a large list of email from over time. And sometimes when I put a listener question on the show, it's from the same week. Some, and that gives me an idea for the show that week. And other times it's from weeks ago, even sometimes a month or two ago. But I keep them there just in case so I can refer back so that you can see that people do have these issues and how we apply what we talked about in the podcast to that particular issue. So, picked from my files is um, this email that I got from Jerry M. from Manitoba, Canada. And he writes... Hi, Coach. Always an informational listen. Informational? I'll take that. 
my son Cabe is 12 and has been shooting for a year. He got set up at a range near our home and has been trying to get tighter groups as he can now shoot up to 35 yards. That's good. That's more than a lot of 12-year-olds. But his groups are not great. Okay, He frames the shots in his peep, just like you say, but the groups are still wider the further out he goes. And that's to be expected because the further out you go, it magnifies any errors that you're making. At 20, his groups are about 3 inches wide, and at 35, it gets to be about 7 or 8 inches, which I can understand, because he's shooting outside, wind conditions. Um, again, the further you are out, the more critical your form and your execution is going to be. Still, consistently spread all over, not just missing to one side or the other. So basically what he's saying is that when he's shooting out there at 30, 35 yards, the group is a big circle. It's not like just to one side or the other because that would indicate an equipment issue or a form issue or something like that. The guy at the shop says he just has to keep shooting to get better. True, but a lot of times you repeat the same thing over and over and expect a different outcome. That's insanity. It doesn't work. But he is very frustrated. One of the older crew there, oh boy, told him he might just have found his limit that everyone has a limit to how far he can shoot, and he probably just hit his wall. When I heard that, I thought I would reach out to you. Please let me know if you think he's doing anything wrong or if you have any advice to help him. So I remember when I got this email, I did send send him out an email, told him what was wrong, corrected him. A couple of emails back and forth, and I asked him what size of peep was, and his son actually replied to me in an email and he said that he has a lot of gap around the peep site. So he was exactly what I was talking about before, where if you have too much gap in between your peep site, what's going to happen is going to be the peep and the size of the scope or the housing. You're going to have too much possibility for variation in there. So sometimes when he'd be drawn back, I can guarantee you he was on one side of the peep or the other side of the peep or high on the peep or lower than the peep. And then that, cause the inconsistency in his group. So what I told him to do was go to the shop and have them change his peep, not tie it in, but him not to shoot it, just to draw it back and see where, which size peep got him down to where his peep site was just eclipsing his, his sight. And I asked him to do that both outside and inside. The shop they go to has an outdoor range. So he did that, did it outside, and he found that a 316th framed it perfectly. He said that the same day that he changed at the shop, and the peep, I think they charged him 20 bucks to change it, whatever it was included, buying the peep, whatever. He went out, and his group shrunk down to about two and a half inches at two and a half, three inches at 30 yards. One small, and they've been getting better ever since. I think I've gotten two emails in the last month or so from them saying that, hey, listen, he's shooting out to 40, 42 yards now. But his groups are consistent, round, and in there within two inches. And in this case, it was not him hitting a wall. It was just the fact that his peep was too big around the site. Reduce it. In this case, the archer needed assistance by changing a part of his setup. Just a peep. 
20 bucks, improved the shooting, got the kid's confidence up, now he's up to 40. So small changes like that can help. But that's how much impact the site and the peep can have. I also let him know that, you know, he had the beginner site on there. If he decides later on to change the site, he might be doing the whole thing all over again. We have to find the one that fits. And I told him about multi-aperture sites and stuff like multi-aperture peeps. And the dad's like, yeah, I thought about getting him a brand new site for Christmas. So he'll know what peep to get him when he does that to reduce all this problem in the future. And if he doesn't want to get him a multi-aperture peep, you just go to the shop and do the same thing again. Find the right one that works. Now, our second listener question comes from someone quite familiar to us. Uh, while I was at Home Depot doing some, some shopping for, uh, for some home repair, I got a text from Anthony at the Off-Center Archers. And he was asking about changing peeps because he was using a podium peep and he couldn't get the sight close enough to fit inside the peep. He shoots a lot of 3D, so he uses a bigger scope, but he couldn't get it to fit inside there. So he was asking about the Hamski inside and if it had a different design, would it work or not, you know, because it's got a little bit more barrel design on there. Um, and like I told him, I said, well, you can change the, the peep to a Hamski and see if it makes any difference. However, knowing Anthony's setup that he has, he shoots a 40-inch Perform X, which is a very, very long bow. So the angle, okay, is not going to be as severe as it would be on, say, a 30-inch bow. And what a lot of people forget about peeps, especially for your higher quality peeps, even some of the low end ones. I mean, the ones that PSE makes can be put on two different, two different angles and there's regular aluminum peeps. Is that <clears throat> depending on the length of the bow and that angle, you're either going to need a 37 degree peep or a 45. Now, this may sound like, what is he talking about? Different angles. Because... Modern-day bows are so short compared to what they used to be in the day. Most people just set it up with 37-degree peeps. Some peeps only come that way at 37 degrees because the, the, more, the shorter that the axle-to-axle is, the tighter that triangle at the back is going to be, making the angle different. So if you put a 45-degree peep, it would actually be tilted up or tilted down, actually tilted up. Because it'd be at the wrong angle. So <coughs> I told him, I said, why don't you check your peep? And I'm telling you that it's got a 37 and 45. Chances are, if you're pulling it back and you bring your scope in all the way, you're not seeing through the entire peep because if someone took a shot at you from the side, your peep may be tilted, which then obscures the actual sight picture and you're not going to get the whole thing. I haven't heard back from him if he tried it yet or not, but I'll be sure to find out this week as I will contact him about this. It's been a crazy week, what I can tell you. Anyway, so those two differences are big. And let's just say he was shooting on the 37 and he put it on the 45. Now all of a sudden when he goes and looks through it because he brought his sight scope all the way in, it might be super, super huge around it. Or it might be too small, whatever but it's, it's going to look different. So he can then adjust it and see if it works. If it doesn't work, he can go to the hamski and see if that makes a difference. But normally, if I hear something like this, it's about the angles being used. Now, specialty archery, they have a site on there, um, a site chart on there, and it actually tells you 
you can look up the distance to the peep and the the length of the axle to axle and figure out whether or not you fall into a 37 or a 45. But like I said, since all the bows are so short these days, a lot of people don't even realize there was such a thing. But these sights, the more high-end ones come with the two cutouts in them, and a lot of times people use the wrong one and be looking through the wrong sight picture. So helpfully, that that's going to help him out with that, and I'll be finding out what it did. But the whole purpose of the 37 to 45 is so that you're looking through a level sight and a level peep at full draw. So the, the notch on the, on the peep accommodates the string angle. Um, and that'll do it for our listener questions. Now, it's time for Don't Be That Guy. And I got to be honest, I had a whole different Don't Be That Guy lined up for this episode. I really did. But as I was looking through the emails to correspond with the subject that we were, we were talking about on here, and I found Jerry's email about his son from Canada and having a problem with a peep. Um, let's just say, you know, after reading about his son's issue, I, I got to thinking, and the last part of the email that he put in there, you know, about the old timer or the old crew, as he called them, they're exactly, exactly the type of person I'm going to direct this this week's Don't Be That Guy to. So, don't be that guy who puts his opinion out as fact. You know, there are people like this who preach all kinds of stupid, idiotic info as fact. That sort of thing has become, has become known as bro science, okay? Not only is it stupid... Because it's based on nonsense. It's like, well, this is what we figured out, and this is what it is. It's irresponsible because it, it can often discourage people. They told this kid that he was gonna he had hit his wall, that that's all he'd ever be. Why? Because that's the wall that they hit? It's flat out not true. But it's bro science. He hit his wall. Everyone has a wall. Are you kidding me? It's just plain not right. So you're going to create this witchcraft mumble jumbo because this has been your experience that you hit that wall and could never get past it. Well, the kid must have hit that wall. You know, everyone gets it comes to that wall sometime in their life. He just hit it at the start. No, not true. You didn't know enough to tell him, well, maybe it was the peep site. And you know what? I don't fault you for not knowing that. Not everyone is a coach or a bow tech. But the fact that you're going to go ahead and tell him that, why? Because this is your combined knowledge of many years. That's your combined stupidity. And this kid, if he had taken that advice, he's either going to accept it, I'm never going to be more than this. Or he's going to get discouraged and he's going to give up. So for every one person that I try to help with this sort of thing, I bet there's a thousand idiots out there who are discouraging somebody else because they give them their version of the bro science. It's not even true. So all I'm going to say is, if you happen to be somewhere, protect yourself and whatever you hear, take it with a grain of salt 
and throw it out. Because these old characters and people who are know-it-alls at the range and nonsense like that, chances are, unless they've been doing this for a very long time, they're telling you about what their experience is. And not for nothing, if this same guy had framed his words differently saying, well, you know, in all the years I've been shooting, what happened with me was I hit a certain point and I couldn't go past that. If he had said that that's what happened to him, that that's not what happens to everybody, I'm good with it. But the fact that he just says everybody hits a wall that they can't progress past, that's complete and utter nonsense. He wins the ass hat of the week award. So don't be that guy who does this sort of thing because otherwise you'll become a candidate for the ass hat of the week. And I'm sorry for getting so, so tuned up, but I find, find myself apologizing a lot for these things. But this is the sort of thing that makes me crazy. But it happens every day. So be on the, the defensive when you around these people. Just be numb to whatever they're saying. Like, oh, yeah. And the best way to, to, to get these people to go away, because if you don't agree with them, they will keep on. It's just like, oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yes, them to death. They will walk away. Because they're looking to really grind it into somebody. But if they see, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you telling them? They'll walk away. But again, don't be that guy who does this to people. Because it's very easy, after you've been shooting for a little while, to start doing the same things. It's much better to say either I don't know or be like, well, you can check this guy over here because he'll tell you about this and he, he's an expert on this sort of thing. Or go check this website about this because they'll, t- they'll explain some of the stuff. Check Tim Gillingham's thing about arrows. For every subject, there's an expert who I would say is an expert. Tell him that. But don't be the guy who goes ahead and says, you know, this is what this is, to go ahead and flat out discourage somebody. I don't think he was meaning to discourage him, but the fact is because he's too stupid to know any better That's what he almost did. Fortunately, in this case, it didn't work out that way. And a small change, and this kid broke through his wall. Because if you think about it, if everyone had a wall that they're going to hit, okay, then we'd still be in the Stone Age. Oh, you've got that square wheel that you're using there. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, no, that's as far as that can go. All right, people are still believing that. We'd still be driving around Stone Age stuff. But no. People don't accept that that's their limit. And they strive to do better. That's how you improve. So avoid the asshats and don't be the guy who does that to somebody else. Whew, that's it for that. So, um, yeah, that was a little strange one. So that'll do it for this episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to uh, visit our website, highpowerarchery.com. Drop us uh, a message on the site. Email me, highpowerarchery at gmail.com. Check out our YouTube page where I have some of the podcast episodes there. And today, yes, today, I'm going to start uploading the videos. That's youtube.com slash highpowerarchery. So as we always say, it's never goodbyes until we meet again. Until then, stay safe. And shoot straight.